I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> sing one and sing two. If I feel that I could be certain when I would say the things I want to say to Hold it right there! Go, go, go! Ah! Ah! You were supposed to be keeping a lookout! Sorry, Dad. My theater's been going through some pretty rough times lately. So, what do I do? Quit? No. My next show is gonna be, drum roll please, a singing competition. Just think, your neighbor, the, the, the grocery store manager, that, that chicken, right there. Real talent from real life. Norman, would you please tell them what a good singer I am? Oh yeah, you were great, honey. By the way, the bathroom sink is blocked again. I'm here to win. That prize, it's mine. Everyone in the city gets a shot at being a star on my stage. Are you okay? Oh, yes, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Darling, stay with me. Wow. This show is not going to save your theater. Maybe it's time to just move on. Come on, you know how much this means to us. You can't just sing it. You've got to show the fire on desire. The fire went out a long time ago. You are not going to believe what I did today. I am lost. I am vain. Dad, I just don't want to be in your game. I want to be a singer. How did I end up with a son like you? I'll get you out. Dad, wait. I'll get the money. I promise. I could really use some extra piano lessons. Yes, that was very bad. A defining moment in all of our lives. We're going to be spicy, no? Yeah! yeah. Don't let fear stop you from doing the thing you love. Yeah. You know what's great about hitting rock bottom? There's only one way left to go, and that's up! Sing. This is a commissioned show sponsored by Maya Suris, Chris Finnick, and Rad Dad. And I have said this in the past, usually right before I promise we will do a show on Sing at some point. That's, by the way, what some of the best of these commissions are. They function as the activation button for something that exists purely as rich potential. But back to my point, I have said this in the past, the initial trailers for this movie made me groan and fired off all kinds of assumptions on my part. What it seemed like was a highly marketable combination of annoying, screaming, jabbering animals animated by Illumination for the kids, plus the annoying, easy pickings of a jukebox musical that scores points merely because everyone recognises pop songs, and couple that with the unending slew of judgment shows where members of the public audition for their 15 minutes of fame, an extremely lucrative multimedia business model that has made Simon Cowell $385 million and contributed in no small part to the mutation of what music means to us now. But what Sing turned out to be was heartfelt and very funny and gorgeous to look at with both some obscure picks in terms of a wide variety of music and it would contain a couple of truly excellent singing performances. I should have known that Garth Jennings, the director of Son of Rambo and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, would not be delivering just yet another Minions or Trolls or Storks. 
or The Secret Life of Pets, or Madagascar, or Ice Age 3 The Meltdown, or The Boss Baby, or Over the Hedge, or Barnyard, or Chicken Little, or Open Season, or The Nut Job, or Shark Tale, or The Reef, or Help I'm a Fish, or Rio 2, or Angry Birds, or Free Birds, or Duck Duck Goose, or Valiant, or Robots, or Home, or The Ant Bully, or Arthur and the Invisibles, or Hotel Transylvania, or The Addams Family, or Strange Magic, or Monsters vs. Aliens, or Space Chimps 2, or Alpha and Omega, or Spies in Disguise, or The Wild, or Delgo, or B Movie, or Turbo, or Epic, or Smallfoot, or Surf's Up, or Shrek the Third, or Norm of the North, or The Emoji Movie, or the Playmobil movie, or Nomeo and Juliet, or Sherlock Gnomes, or Gnome Alone, Garth Jennings and his team were going to make something lovely. From the very start, rather than playing us in with Smash Mouth on the toilet, we journey through the massive, grand front doors of a musical theatre on opening night at a grand show, and the curtains part and a sheep ascending a staircase, being blown by an ethereal wind of rose petals as everything becomes purple before our eyes, sings in operatic fashion The Beatles. It's an absurd moment that you somehow end up not laughing at because it's immediately apparent how you're supposed to feel. It's not cheap, easy gags. There is a sense of the special and the magical and let's face it, a form of entertainment that we are losing more and more every year as everything is conveyed to us via screens of all sizes while escalating ticket prices make live shows the province of those able to afford to attend. And let's not forget online scalpers who definitely help and to address the other, other elephant in the room, while this film originally came out in 2016, now in the 2020s, where absolutely everything is informed upon by the pandemic, gathering together in an auditorium without worry of potentially contracting a disease that may cause you permanent lung damage and kill your mum has become a thing of the past. Sing celebrates that thing of the past, and it makes no bones about how fleeting and tenuous the very idea of trying to maintain a business like that is. We are given a glimpse of something magnificent before being dumped in the little shoes of the guy who has always wanted to bring that magnificence back. It's a story with the same heart and spirit as the Queen song, Radio Gaga. hero is Buster Moon, a koala down on his luck and deeply in debt, played by Matthew McConaughey, extremely charmingly. He is going to accidentally inspire a whole bunch of different animals, and then ultimately, much like School of Rock, they are going to have to decide whether to proceed or give up once the crushing challenges of reality tear their theatre apart. It literally happens because Buster foolishly turns the place into a giant glowing aquarium to impress potential sponsors without due care and safety regulations, but 
The banks have been looking to foreclose on this place for years and all he does is save them the trouble of demolishing the building. I made comparisons to Zootopia back at release, but this is an easier watch, for better or worse. Zootopia, with its city full of anthropomorphic animals all living alongside one another, has a serious point to make about prejudice. The fact that it kind of fudges several of its slightly clumsy metaphors is an acceptable drawback relative to its artistic intentions. It's trying something. Singh, on the other hand, wants to imbue us with a sense that the special is hard to find and incredibly fragile, and we have to work together to preserve it. It's not a very controversial statement to make, albeit a precious one. The inciting incident occurs at the beginning after Buster reminisces about seeing that amazing show we've just seen with his father at a very early age and wanting to be part of the biz for the rest of his life to the point where he and dad bought the whole theater a while back with seemingly no clear or realistic future plans of how to maintain financing it or at least Buster hasn't the head for that sort of thing. He's a dreamer, I sympathize. After an idea to hold a singing contest with $1,000 as a prize, a sum he can hopefully make in ticket sales, the figure is changed via his secretary, Miss Crawley, an ancient iguana voiced by Garth Jennings himself, by the way. When her glass eye bounces right the hell out of her head and hits the zero key enough times to make it a $100,000 prize. The resultant flyers are printed and blown out the window like a tornado of golden tickets by accident. The utter inverse of Wonka's rare opportunities. The main characters who we've just met all want to sing and the rogue flyers all find them. But their experiences here will reshape their lives as all of them have something to learn and overcome. So we're going to cover each character in turn since this ensemble piece gives us a fairly rich selection of lovable misfits. And we're going to start with the one who changed the least, who is Mike. Mike is a mouse voiced by Seth MacFarlane, kind of like a squeaky version of Brian in um, Family Guy, but he's pompous and arrogant and resentful of anybody not listening to him, and he kind of he busts on the street, uh, and uh, but has these airs and graces of being a Frank Sinatra mouse. It's difficult to tell, by the way, if Frank Sinatra exists in this world or is a mouse or what. They never, like, they don't go into the science of it. No, no, they don't. And I know what you mean about comparing it to Zootopia. It does kind of feel like this is maybe something that took place in the same universe, at least. Maybe a little bit down the road once the stuff that was going on in Zootopia had all been resolved and people were much more happy and prey and predator animals were integrating much more comfortably. Carnivores. <laughs> Oi! Oi. Um, the I, I get what you mean about Mike. I think he doesn't change just, a damn. He doesn't bit. change much, does he? Ultimately, the the thing that Mike has to overcome is never really clear. He is. Well, no, he does. He, he stops. Prickly. He needs to stop being a selfish prick, and he doesn't. No, he does. Well, exactly. He's he is. Like we like characters like this if they can change and stop being quite so awful. He doesn't. Yeah, his his motivation shifts like one degree to the left. He starts off wanting to do this for the money, mm -hmm. uh, and you know he's busking on the street. You can understand that that is going to be one of his chief aggressively priorities. though. He attacks people who he don't does. give him money, <laughs> and he appears to owe owe lots to somebody in the criminal underworld. Russian bear mobsters. <laughs> yeah. He has to learn to not borrow from Russian bear mobsters Absolutely. who will eat him. And just one point I was going to make with regards to the, the prize accidentally being nudged up to being so huge. 
It's significant in that it shouldn't matter because all of these people ultimately, apart from Mike, want to sing for purposes of self-expression. However, having $100,000 or, or koala dollars or whatever they are at stake means that there might be something there that they can use to justify to the people around them, it is worth my time to do this. Fundamentally, and this isn't something that's really gone into in, in massive detail, but fundamentally, this is a, a, a snark, I think, at the concept that art is something that should be there to make money. None of the key players in this believe that. The yeah. prize money shouldn't matter, but it's a way of justifying it to the outside world. Mm. And that is something that I can really sympathise with. I, being in that position of feeling like your art, your, your internal self, your whatever it is you have, if you can't, that it's, it's only worth what you can convince somebody else to pay for it. That is a shitty mentality, and unfortunately it is... A, a significant mentality in the world in which we live. When you put it like that, this film strays a little into Ratatouille territory. Bit so, yeah, bit so. And uh, uh, ultimately, where where Mike is kind of a, a bit player in all of this is that he believes that it would appear and doesn't really change his mind. He's he he. Well, at the end, the reason that like, he's he's quit and he's wandered off, and then he sees. Um, them singing in this final big performance that was supposed to include him in the group and people are like hey they can sing really well and he's like I can sing better and then runs to get to catch up and Absolutely. it's like this and is this just is... to stoke his ego exactly more. it's and not to be part of I a mean. group this is what I mean about how his his motivation shifts like one degree he is selfishly interested in the money once he realises the money is no longer there, he just wants the attention disappears but then it's like okay now I'll do it for the recognition but it's still a very self-interested reason for That's doing worse, Sarah. You, you do realise how that's worse. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that, that's all we've really got to say about Mike. He's played by Seth MacFarlane in a not especially funny turn. Yeah. He's kind of a bum note in this. Like, he honestly, the way Seth MacFarlane goes, he can do vulnerable. Like, he's done vulnerable as Brian in the past. Yeah, I, vulnerable I as Stewie. He is the closest that the core cast has to a villain... Nah, it's the bank lady. But he is certain. Well, no, 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 because you see, here's the thing, and uh, well, she think, gets her own like um, Peruvian pan pipes. Ooh, 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 she does. When she turns probably, up, I should probably save this more for the end. But the system does not get defeated in this. Oh, that no, is really no. important to remember. It doesn't give you an unrealistic idea that you can somehow smash the system. No, indeed. The but but Mike is all right. If he's not a villain himself, he is at least the connective tissue between. At least not by just singing. You've got to do other things. Well, indeed, uh, he is the connective tissue between the heroes of the story and the Russian mob, who are the closest we have to villains. They are the they are the destructive element ultimately. They are the ones whose presence results in everything physically falling apart. No, it's the bank. The bank are the ones who want to just repossess it all and say they're like, to get to illustrate that they have no faith in this and that they all they care about is their precious money. Like they are the looming presence. They are the thing that uh, Buster keeps trying to avoid. They are, but like I said, they don't get defeated. So. I know. But uh, I mean they do get defeated in that it's like Buster's point is uh, you know what? Let's save that for Buster. Uh, yeah, saving that for the for later. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, the next character I'm going to go to uh, is Rosita, a housewife pig played by Reese Witherspoon, uh, who we see singing Katy Perry Firework uh, and as she serves breakfast for her 112 piglet kids. 25. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> while her husband Norm, played by Nick Offerman, is like, oh, hey, honey, I'm just going to go to work. And she makes sure that he has the right keys and that he's on his way. And the kids... Actually, I think the kids were what made me make assumptions about this film because they're fucking infuriating and they were all over that trailer and they're clearly the, like, I thought this is the target audience. Loud kids who can't sit down in a movie theatre. And because they don't, they're inconsiderate, they don't give a shit about anyone else but themselves. The most important thing is to have fun at all times. Nothing else matters. They're all basically just toddlers, mm. only we never see them turn when things don't work out for them because toddlers tend to cry a lot. Indeed. But what because do they they're do? discovering that they're not the only person in the world. What do they do at the very end? They fail to sit still in a theatre. Yeah. <laughs> they get up and start the dancing kids do around. They change in the slightest. Yeah. But, but they're also not, I know what you mean about infuriating, but they are not as. They're disgusting negative. shit pigs. They are not disgusting shit pigs. They are not as negative as the setup would suggest. Only because Rosita is sort of, oh, as opposed to, ah, I'm going to kill myself and make bacon from myself. Very true, very true. There is a, right, this is. She's tired of being a housewife, but only insofar as a spa day would probably fix she, it. Well, exactly, that's what I was about to say. Yes, she is, but she's not tired like this would bring tired. She's not there tired like not Shrek in Shrek the Fourth. Fatigue where falling he's like, out I wish trotters. that my life had gone completely like, differently. She's desperate to be enthusiastic and about her singing, but she just can't because she doesn't have the energy. The kids are making fun of her while she kids. sings. I'm mommy. They are, and and the this is kind of what brings me to uh, the the thing that I understand when people say that despite everything that you said about what the trailer set up and what the film ultimately uh, ultimately delivers, which goes way beyond that, but I can understand why people still would not have embraced it because it is kind of simple in terms of it's these are the things that the people have to overcome. Their basic level of resilience is impressive. Yeah. to say the least. Everybody seems to have one major issue to bounce from, mm. and they all bounce from it pretty quickly, as soon as they're given the window into how they can bounce. Except for Mike. Except for Mike, who doesn't have anything to bounce from. He got and nothing. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. So, uh, okay, so Rosita's journey is to go from being this taken-for-granted mum and, I wouldn't even say wife, because... Her husband comes home and is basically just like a large child. Yes. She gives him a quiche, which suspiciously looks like it might have bacon in it. <laughs> you said maybe it's ham, maybe it's and ham. it was like, <laughs> that's, those are from the same animal. Um, but yeah, no, he falls asleep because he worked hard all yeah. day. And like, she's not really a wife, she's just a servant to them. Yeah, she is ignored. Ultimately, that is, that is Rosita's thing to overcome, she is ignored. She is not recognised for what she is capable of. And it's really sad, but there's, there's two things that make this even sadder. When she decides she's going to start effectively moonlighting during the day as, uh, uh, as practising for this act, uh, because they all get recruited to be like, you know, our heroes become the, this troupe who are going to put on 
It's supposed to be a talent contest, but really, like, they're they're doing a concert. Hmm. They're, they're performing a concert, and it's each of them do, performing an act. It's not about who wins the money. And eventually, the money gets t- turns out to just be a treasure chest with... with stuff in it anyway. Fairly early in the game, yeah. to be honest. But the, it, it's not about the money for them. Uh, and that's possibly why, uh, that, that is in fact exactly why Seth MacFarlane's mouse walks, because he's like, there was no money? Ah, screw this gig. And walks off with this Frank Sinatra voice, and it's like, okay, mouse, we're going to be fine without you. But then he comes back and sings anyway, because Seth MacFarlane really can sing like Sinatra. But... Rosita, while she's away, sets up a breakfast machine that Doc Brown would go outstanding at. Like the whole thing, contr- like uh, nudges these the 108 kids and her husband out of bed, prepares them breakfast on this sort of weird factory line, and then ushers them out the door, giving them their backpacks, performing all the tasks that she does, and. The sad, sad double side of this is, one, she's a fucking mechanical genius and has clearly missed her calling there. Absolutely. It feels like she missed her uh, shot as a teenager because she can sing pretty well and wanted to do something like that, but ended up getting married, settling down, and then settled so much that the other sad thing, they don't notice mom's not here. They go, thanks, mom, and she she's a ghost. Yeah. Her mechanical essence is in this house performing the tasks. Yeah. And the ingenuity of this machine, it only screws up a few days later when a chaotic ball gets in the mechanism. Okay. But the her thing to overcome is she needs recognition. Mm-hmm. So her act, dancing with this uh, German piggy named Gunther, There is a Nick little... Kroll. Yeah, there is... A, one thing I would bring up is there is a sense of pigs with pigs, porcupines with porcupines going on here. Like with like. It's, it's all very sort of, we sit within our own species. <laughs> A little bit of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> elephants can help elephants. I mean, uh, you know, Buster helps um, all of them. Yeah, absolutely. But families yeah. are, and, and people who get paired up oh, together point, yeah. are all the Rosita same. did not marry a dog and have dog pigs, pig dog yeah. kids. I mean, I get it, because that would make people go, what the hell? Well, all the dogs look like dad and all the pigs look like mum. Mm. Or something. Yeah, no, it's, it's very much like with, like, uh, more on that in a bit. Her performance in the end, like, Gunther is this just explosive ball of, of enthusiasm. But I noted as I was typing stuff down, Gunther is not a character in this. No. He doesn't have anything to overcome. No. He overcomes He's a light e- show. even less than uh, um, Mike because he never really gets sad or gives up like he's always just ready to dance and he's kind of the spark that she needs to light her firework yeah and he ultimately he gives her a degree of recognition that she's not getting from home because she approaches their partnership with right you dance I'll sing I can't dance and Gunther's response to that is no no you can you just need some training but the the other thing as well there's when they get towards the end and they start to put together this huge set design and, and the lights and everything that, that ultimately pulls off the show, half of my brain was going, they have no money left. How on earth are they doing this? I am now convinced that Rosita built it all out of her handbag contents. If this was the Masayuki film from 1996, Shall We Dance, Gunther and Rosita would actually get a little bit of rom- uh, romantic frisson mm. going on and uh, eventually Nick Offerman Pig would realise that this has brought something out of Rosita and he wants to dance with her so it would in effect save their marriage but they ain't doing that this is just about the little piglets going wow mom can dance and she's a star and she can wear spangly dresses and she's kind of awesome and 
that's all she really needed for her kids to just like enjoy seeing her strutting her stuff to Taylor Swift, which is a catchy ass song, even though it just reduces every horrible person in the world to quote unquote haters, which is dubious coming from a rich, successful white woman. And that thus, that everything is solved now. Like, you know, the, the, the kids will not take her for granted, neither will her husband, and she can walk back to her home with confidence and do the same thing again. Yeah, but ultimately, like I said, Rosita's journey is quite a simplistic one. She is the first person to perform in the concert at the end, and her issues are all wrapped up by the time she's finished her number. Yeah. actually the last person to sing and so we should leave her for the end but there there's she hits us in slightly different ways uh, than I think was probably intended uh, she's uh, an elephant who is very shy and one of the things I love about her animation wise is that she uses her ears like somebody with perhaps body dysmorphia uses their fringe and hair to sort of cover their face she uses her ears to cover her eyes in a, in a kind of oh, if I'm if I'm hiding behind my ears the thing can't get me uh, it seems ultimately like the thing she's scared of is that she's big and clumsy and slightly too big for the world in that she's an elephant in a place where mice wander around. Mm, yeah. And they never really go, none of these movies ever really go into the fact that the size of this place would be a nightmare for some uh, characters. <laughs> that might never get stepped on. I think they do have a gag where somebody steps on a snail. Yeah, Buffalo steps on a snail. But he's fine. The, the snail is fine. He takes him to the emergency room and he's, he's you Do know, happy and dancing at the end. Does it, is he? Right. He's uh, okay. I keep wanting to call him Brian. His name is not Brian. Brian was the snail in the magic roundabout. <laughs> the magic roundabout, yeah. But no, he, the snail is there at the end and he's singing along with everybody else. Okay. But the... 
one thing that I did wonder about Mina, and again, this sort of speaks of the fact that they, they don't go massively deep into the issues of the, the characters. They don't need to. That's not the point here. But I did wonder where Mina's social anxiety comes from, because her family are really supportive of her. Mm. They're a little pushy, but they're, they're not in a, uh, a nasty way. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is maybe a combination of pressure, mm. like people pushing her when she's not quite ready for it has made her get quite defensive about that and also when she really launches into her enthusiastic singing at the end she does start to stomp in such a way that it's causing things to fall yeah it causes absolute disaster yeah so maybe it comes from the fact that at some point in her earlier life that's happened and that's made her think I can't let this thing get out of hand and so she starts to shut down whenever she her instincts are trying to let go uh, therein lies a couple of the only issues I actually have with the film. Despite, the, you know, I, I would love for them to have gone ridiculously in depth and very emotional for all of these characters, but you know, they manage uh, what they can in the time that they are giving themselves, and they keep it all just above the pain level, yeah. which is uh, where uh, Pixar frequently descend below the pain level in a way that makes a lot of audiences uncomfortable which is why illumination films and the like are very popular because they promise they'll never get that painful yeah and ultimately all the characters get through their barriers relatively easily but there's never an indication that one of these simple barriers is the thing that needs to be sorted in order to save mm. the day. The, the big thing is something different. Uh, I have two issues with them. One of them tiny, one of them uh, big. Uh, the snail step occurs after a buffalo who gets nervous and starts farting, farts directly in uh, Matthew McConaughey's koala face, and then runs away having stepped on the snail with the snail to the emergency room, farting all the way, and I'm like, that's a fart gag. Okay. It's it's that's fine. It's tiny. However, the other thing is more substantive. Uh, too many coded black characters in this are played by white actors. Tori Kelly in real life is a pretty blonde lady, and she's playing Mina, an African elephant. Mina is the centerpiece of a whole family of elephants, where the mother is Leslie Jones from the 2016 Ghostbusters, and the grandfather is Jay Farrow. Both of them are black comedians. Everything about Mina, even her hair up in those little vertical but slightly diagonal bun bunches and ending on a Stevie Wonder song, suggests that she should be played by someone like Amanda Stenberg, Anika Noni Rose or Alicia Allen, who was in School of Rock. She was Tamika. Mm. I love... Tori Kelly's voice and performance, but this feels wrong. Mm. I also feel like people watching it would just assume she was played by a black actress. But that's not the only instance of you were so close and what the hell was with with this particular casting decision. Nana, who is the sheep I mentioned at the beginning. Eddie uh, is played by, is a sheep uh, who's kind of nervous and a little bit hapless, played by John C. Riley perfectly. He's got kind of a Wreck-It Ralph thing. Living in his mother's pool house. Yeah. Kind of not... He, he seems like he's from money and he just doesn't seem to have found a direction in his life. But he's uh, one of uh, Buster's close confidants. But his nana, Eddie's grandmother, is a black sheep with a woolly hairdo. Like a really overt woolly hairdo. Mm-hmm. And she has the exact piercing look of Eartha Kitt who herself, as well as an actress, was a very renowned singer. And she's bafflingly played by Jennifer Saunders, who is a popular white British comedian. 
Now, Eartha Kitt sadly passed away in 2008 after voicing Yzma in The Emperor's New Groove in 2001, but Tina Turner, Diana Ross, Gladys Knight, Tracy Jackson, they were all still alive and kicking in 2016. Also, Annika Noni Rose's Dreamgirls co-star Jennifer Hudson plays Nana's younger singing voice to make this even more of an uncomfortable swap out. And as you said, she's got like five lines as an adult, mm. well, sorry, as, a, as an old lady. You, you're telling me that Jennifer Hudson can't go <laughs> and just kind of croak it up a little bit? I mean, Maya Suris is not an old lady, but she managed it as Merlane. Yeah. Those magics are a dangerous business, lad. Ended more civilizations than they saved. But that was mainly because the wrong people got a hold of them. Instead, Jennifer Saunders just reminds me of her haughty turn in Shrek 2, which is not something you want people thinking. To miss this opportunity expresses at the most charitable I can be, blind ignorance to the key role that black singers have played in the history of music and performance and their subsequent erasure and pushing forward to the spotlight, white singers. That's it. That's my only real abiding issue with this film. Okay, so Mina eventually learns to uh, come out of her shell and start singing that Stevie Wonder song, Don't You Worry About A Thing. Wonderfully. She also does a, a magnificent version of Hallelujah earlier on in the film with her headphones on. Mm. And it feels like with her headphones, she's able to shut A, shut out the rest of the world, and B, she doesn't need to put her ears over her eyes. She can't exactly fit them round mm. in the same way. Um, so yeah, her the, the key is, like even though she's incredibly nervous and has stage fright and doesn't feel like she could be doing it or should be doing it, she has imposter syndrome out the wazoo, which is the other end of the elephant. Um, it, her friends believe in her and so she can sing, and yeah. it's lovely. Rosita and Mina ultimately do have a, a similar thing that they have to be able to do to get their performance out there, which is to get out of their own head yeah. and stop fixating on the um, the idea that people will judge them negatively. Now, to say that, anybody who's experienced social anxiety will know that is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. And it is presented here as a very simplistic, you just have to stop thinking about it, just sing. Just do a thing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it ain't that easy, folks, but... Again, it's all part of an ensemble. They only had so much time. I get it. I do understand. Rosita's moment comes when she's in the grocery store late at night and it's completely empty. So when Bamboleo by uh, Santana comes on over the uh, radio, no one's around to see her and she starts dancing and dances magnificently, this little piggy flamenco. And um, then she gets told over the loud hailer by the only person alive and present in the store, oh, that was awesome. So it's kind of like when no eyes are upon her, she can dance like no one's looking. And I suppose that's what she has to harness near the end when she's performing with Gunther. Yeah, yeah piggy power. <laughs> You're great fun. Should I try to hide the way I feel inside my heart for you? Would you say that you would try to love me too? In your mind, could you ever be really close to me? I can tell the way you smile. 
If I feel that I could be certain, then I would say the things I want to say tonight. Johnny and his father, Big Daddy. Johnny is a giant gorilla. And they're, again, they are so massive, I don't understand how they can exist in the same uh, universe as uh, snails that walk around on the pavement. But it's fine, don't question it. Uh, his father's a bank robber, and he's very rough, and he's played by Peter Serafinowicz. And uh, he's not up for all of that fruity singing. And Johnny is voiced by Taron Egerton, who has this lovely melodious singing voice. And it's not particularly subtle about the... I'm gay, Dad. I love singing. Side. That's the, the subtext of this particular character, and he's very worried about what his father will think. His father definitely doesn't want him to be going in that direction. Hasn't really heard him sing. Wants him to be a getaway driver for, uh, for the rest of his life. Gets banged up in the nick anyway. And so Johnny is kind of left twisting in the wind and finds this singing troupe and... Uh, so, you know, follows that particular side of things. Also, it turns out he's really good at playing the piano and tinkling those ivories. Uh, and then his final performance is as Elton John singing I'm Still Standing. And there is not a doubt in my mind that he got the role of Elton John in Rocket Man as a direct result of being in this film. Almost so. My guess is that El Almost Elton so. said, yes, you can use my song. And then Elton went to the cinema and watched it and went, Oh, bugger me, this kid's going to be great. And actually, we've got a biopic coming up. Get me his agent. And Egerton, to his credit, uh, I think at the time when I first saw it, I'd only seen him in uh, Kingsman, which is uh, an annoying film and um, does not really show him at his best. Although, yeah, he's, he's got versatility. The, the visuals of a giant, unwieldy gorilla who has a very sensitive soul is, is extremely appealing. Yeah, I really like the way his performance is framed as well because you've just come from the incredible complexity of uh, Gunther and Rosita's Shake It Off number which has this massive set mm. and sparkly costumes and, and he's sort of very big and bold. It's the most like and what you'd expect to see on Strictly Come Dancing absolutely. or something. Absolutely. Which we never watch. We then segue into Johnny's piano number and it's completely simple. He's wearing his own clothes. It's The curtains are closed. It's just him and the piano. The, the piano is a rickety old thing. I, I didn't notice this until today. Held together by bungee cables. Yes, and the the stool has masking tape all over the seat where it, the leather is obviously cracked. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a rescued piano and it shouldn't even play this well, but absolutely. he gets an amazing tune. But out he of does it. it. And again, Johnny's journey and the barrier that he has to overcome takes a little bit longer than Rosita's, but only because it takes his dad that long to actually get to the to the theatre. Yeah. But, the, but that's the thing, his dad is like in prison going, so turn off that TV, I don't want to hear any of that music from that kind of. You know what I'm saying? I can't say it. You're not allowed to say anything anymore. And then he, he watches his son play amazingly and goes, Oh, I should now break out of jail and have a King Kong. And then he smashes out of jail, <laughs> run like parkours over the city with helicopters chasing him just so he can tell his son he's proud of him. It's yeah. lovely. The fact that the prison is so easy for a gorilla to break out of suggests that either the city planners here didn't really think about the discrepancies in size of their relative citizens or they totally police by consent and it's like they're only in jail because they agree to sit there and behave themselves. I just realised all the police and all the jailers are rhinoceri. Uh, the one flying the police helicopter is a pig. Okay. 
get the pigs off your back. But the rhinoceroses in the jailhouse were the same as the rhinoceroses in uh, Kung Fu Panda who were holding Tai Lung. Stop getting rhinoceri to guard your jail. They may be big and bulky, but they can't stop incredibly meaty, physically fit dudes from getting out. So does that mean that Kung Fu Panda is like the, the historical precedent? <laughs> I believe it is. I believe it is. <laughs> These are all set in the same, same world. I would love that. I would love that to be confirmed. One's DreamWorks and one's Illumination and one's Disney, but let's make it so, shall we, yeah. folks? Um, but the, yeah, the, so, so Johnny's way of getting through to his dad is just to do his performance. His dad happens to see it. He is really sad after he's done it because although he knows he's done really well, for him, like everybody else's family is there. Yeah. His dad is not there. He has no way of knowing that his dad is watching this on TV. So his feelings It wasn't are, just about performing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But but the, the solution to his... My dad doesn't understand that I would rather go in a different direction than be a bank robber. His dad sees him perform and goes, you're absolutely right, you're incredibly talented, I'm terribly proud of you. Again, yeah. it's a fairly simple, all he has to do is hear him sing and the problem is solved. Same as with Rosita. Yeah. Yeah. 
see Rocket Man. It's flipping fantastic. The next character is one of my absolute favorites and has my favorite song and performance in this. I believe it's a, a brand new song that uh, the character writes herself. It's Scarlett Johansson as Ash, the Puncupine. Like she's described to us at the beginning as kind of second fiddle to, uh, is he her boyfriend? Uh, he is, yes. Yeah, he's certainly her bandmate. Uh, his name is Lance. And he's kind of a, yeah, babe, I'm gonna play my music. You can help if you want. But like, he very much regards her as just kind of playing rhythm for him. Uh, and like, that he's the star. And she's not even the guitarist with Mystique. She's just support. She's bass. Mm. Uh, and uh, Ash has some genuine talent and needs to be able to get out from this, under this, this weight, which is telling her she needs to be in the background. Yeah. I, yes, I agree with all of that. Her her journey again is it's a little bit more complicated because the the barriers that Ash has to overcome aren't really to do with anyone else. She gets herself away from Lance because well, Buster does it for her. He, when they go to the audition initially, he says, "I want her, but not him." Yeah. So he separates them. She has to make the decision to go along with it. Yes but he's the one who, who puts that wedge in between them and, and gives her an opportunity to perform on her own. But he pigeonholes her to begin with, and he's seeing her as a teenager who sings. He's like, here, wear this pretty pink dress, sing this cheesy pretty song, and Ash is kind of like, that's not me. I like not that me. Carly Rae Jepsen I song. do, it's a cool but song. But it's totally not But the point for is that she doesn't click with it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like her. She's trying... What everybody is trying to do in this is be themselves. What what Buster is giving them the opportunities for is self-expression. And Ash is probably the one who initially is being offered a glimmer of an opportunity for self-expression and then told, now get back in this box. Yeah. So ultimately, her busting out of it is much more on her than it is on somebody else recognising her. Yeah. Uh, also, again, uh, the, the little details of, uh, of, of character expression. Uh, Miss Crawley has, like, like I said, she's got this sort of wandering glass eye and she's always very positive and helpful even though she's just this, she's clinging to life with this little, oh my! Her bungling always seems to actually make things better even if uh, they appear to make things worse. But Ash, when she it gets emotional, quills come off her she's a porcupine so they're like when we first meet her she's got these two crossed quills through her like her top at the front almost like a logo for herself mm. uh, and then when you see inside her and Lance's apartment there's quills all over the place and later when she's singing she flings quills out like a friggin manticore and we're just lucky that they're not um, tipped with a poisonous enzyme. Well, indeed. Although porcupine quills do have uh, barbs on the end, so everybody who has to pull them out of themselves, oh, yeah. that's going to hurt. She could put their eye out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, that's this is that's a real triumphant moment, and and seeing her perform, it's got kind of a it's it's definitely riffing on Marty McFly at the end of Back to the Future. She even finishes in much the same way, mm -hmm. uh, but. There's also a, a sense of, you know, new ground made. It's yeah. not just an incidental song. This is something from the heart that she's composed and it's about her emancipation. Yeah, and ultimately, one of the things I really like about Ash's crashing through that barrier at the end is, I mean, she's like, she's the middle performance, I think. Mm. Mike come after her and then Mina at the end. Yeah. Uh, but the... 
halfway, well, when she, she goes out onto the stage to start, that's when Judith from the bank turns up and is trying to get them all, because the bank now effectively owns this plot of land. Told you they're the villains. Like, defaulted on... Told you they're the villains. Whatever. The bears are a distraction. So she she's pulled the plug. Russia literally. is a distraction. The real villains are the banks. <laughs> that's it. the subtext. That's the subtext we're missing. Um, so she's pulled out the, the banks plug on and the um, pigs. Ash's uh, guitar, but Ash will not let that silence her. Yeah. She starts singing a cappella and stamping her foot. And yeah. gets the audience G'd up to it as well. And ultimately, like I said, it's the, the fact that that comes from within her rather than from anything external. And so I think, honestly, of, of all of them, in terms of the, the momentum of this is about me getting my ability to express myself on a, 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 in a, a wider environment than I've had the opportunity to before... Ash is probably the best example of that working really well. And ultimately, hers is the only song that brings me to tears every time. So yeah, that's kind of... That's what I mean. That tells me it's working. I followed my heart into the fire Got burned, got broken down by desire I tried, I tried, but the smoke in my eyes Left me blurry, blurry and blind I picked all the pieces up
That should have been what we felt about Mina. Yeah, it should have felt like she's finally coming out of her shell. Yeah. She should have been the one to move us to tears. Mm. But the Stevie Wonder song that she sings is so jolly that it doesn't have that emotional Absolutely. effect. Absolutely, and because she's already got 100% of the support of her family from, from the word go. Mm. Her grandpa, by the way, is dressed like Baba. I don't yeah. think that was a mistake. I don't think that's an accident, no. So the one I've saved for the end, I was going to open with him, but I feel like we'd have, I'd already introduced him in a way and that we might just iterate on that and then move forwards, is Buster himself. Mm. He's probably the richest character in this because he has so much going on and not everything is going to be solved in one flick Absolutely. like that. Yeah. This uh, is this is what I meant about the their, the other characters' simplistic barriers are not the things that save mm. the day. The fact that Buster has helped them all get through their individual situations mean that when his crate gets kicked out from underneath him mm. and he isn't able to immediately bounce back, he doesn't have that... Well, he kind of does, but his baseline resilience is different from theirs. And they all kind of have to come together to reflect back at him what he's offered to them in order to pull him off the ground. But I also really like the fact that the when he is at absolute rock bottom, the person who comes and picks him up is Eddie. And Eddie picks him up. This is John C. Riley the Sheep. This is John C. Riley the Sheep, yeah, absolutely. His his best friend who's kind of been there in the background throughout the whole thing. And is directionless. Yes. But he comes and he helps Buster get up by meeting him where he is on the ground. He doesn't come in and... Because the, the theatre's fallen down, the... the plan to have the the dancing squid has gone horribly wrong the water all bursts out because this is it's been constructed poorly mm. and basically they have no place now they have nowhere that they can put on this show and they're buster, kind of a good team actually because buster has a vision of where he wants to be and is yeah. running towards it and kind of laying down the tracks as he goes like gromit, gromit yeah. <laughs> and eddie has no vision for the future yeah. and is just kind of ambling along trying to do what he can where With, he can bringing up the rear and, and providing a degree of momentum but the Buster has told this story about how they got the theatre in the first place because his dad worked in a car wash and saved up the money to be able to buy what presumably at that point was kind of a broken down theatre that nobody thought was ever going to amount to anything and so they got it cheap. Uh, Buster has resorted to... And the to... neighbourhood is like a demilitarised zone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Buster has resorted to going back to working um, at the car wash. They at don't the use car the wash. song! I no. can't believe they 
don't use well, the no, song. Well, no, because Ness and Dawn, Matt, yeah, no, no, is no, so I much classier. The, the tone would be completely wrong. But so, so Buster's... I get to show off my music know-how in this. I like my, it. My initial thought when I first saw this was Buster's resilience is immediately sprung back into place. He's gone back to the car wash in order to save up more money to go back and, and rebuild yeah. the theatre. But no, he's resorting to the fact that this is all he can do now. And Eddie... He's surrendering to what uh, must have felt like the pull of you can only get this high exactly, this far yeah, in life. That whole thing about in this in this system, in this structure where the banks rule everything, we only let you go so high. And if you hit your head, that's it, you've buggered. Mm. Um, but Eddie does not rescue him. He doesn't turn up and say, I'll do the thing that you needed me to like they the thing that Buster was kind of hanging his hopes on was convincing Nana to who has money to sponsor the theatre and sponsor the show. And the the charming of somebody who is already wealthy is sort of presented about two-thirds of the way through as this is the solution that you have to be working towards. And ultimately, this is what I mean about the system wins. That is the solution they end up with, is that they convince Nana to put money into the theatre. So You need to... F- hmm. If you're a struggling artist, you need to find a rich benefactor. Exactly. That is a, sh- a patron. That is a... It's, it's a wonderful thing to tell struggling artists. It's yeah. very difficult to get. It's even worse if it's an extremely temperamental super rich person whom you are required to flatter the whole time, sacrificing artistic integrity left, right and centre. Yeah. That's why Patreon's fantastic, because you don't need one super rich patron. You just get a hundred people who think, you know what? This person's worth a couple of bucks of my time every month. Yeah. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> elbow, elbow. But the, the, <laughs> the point being that, yes, that reinforces the system. The idea that your art is only worth what somebody will pay for it. If you have to convince somebody wealthy that it's worth their their time and energy of, of their spare money, let's face it. Mm. As one of the keepers of society. Yeah. The fact that art is the thing that stops us all from throwing ourselves <laughs> off the fucking cliff at this point. I would say that's quite valuable to society. Jesus. It's the it's the only therapy we have against the existential nightmare that the 21st century has become. So <sighs> But yeah, but but the the idea was that Eddie would hopefully convince Nana to uh, sponsor the theatre Eddie does not have that ability ultimately Nana thinks he's an idiot and won't listen to him but he doesn't solve Buster's problem by saying I'll give Nana another go he comes and says I will help you <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant <laughs> he comes and and says I will help you with the car wash and that just gives Buster that sort of little... He is no longer flat on the concrete. He is now on his feet. They are doing something As together. As friends together. Exactly. Yeah. It just gives him that little bit of, okay, that's the little bit of bounce. And then the second thing that gives him the little bit of bounce is hearing Mina singing in the rubble of the theatre. Yeah. And that kind of brings back this inspiration to him that this is what I wanted. I wanted to be able to give people somewhere that they could express themselves and show that to an audience and to that... bring them that magic that I felt exactly and it does come full circle at the end when Nana witnesses the show mm. and while everyone's cheering Buster zooms in on her and just sort of the sound just fades away and she clocks him and then gives him the slightest of yeah indeed 
Like, I appreciate this now. Yeah. Like, and you've captured something. As you say, there's a circular nature to it because she inspired him and now he's inspired her. And, and so the, the kind of, the, that artistic machine becomes self-perpetuating, but it is still a machine. And the, the implication is still that you have to be able to inspire people with money, otherwise you're screwed. You've got to make rent somehow. That is true, but they're just, it, I don't know. It, it's not It's not terrible, and it didn't put me off the movie at all. But it, I was just very acutely aware of the fact that it was there, and it didn't really say anything about what art is fundamentally to human nature. It said what art is to the financial structures of society. It had a, a twinge of, if it's marketable, it's worthwhile. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's worth noting that, and this was a good thing actually, because I, I did say that what you said Though about the whole- it's important to note, while it may be marketable, hmm. the artists themselves made their own journeys and pathways that yeah, they, they didn't care about the, the money, money or the lucrativeness. Yeah, the money wasn't the- The only person who really cared about making any kind of money is- it was Judith. <laughs> No, no, was uh, that Buster just wanted to keep doing this yeah. thing and wanted to actually achieve the the spotlighting of this talent yeah. and to, to sort of bring back that feel. Absolutely. But what you said about the, the prevalence... So money is a means to an end rather than the goal it's yeah, in and totally, of itself. Yeah, totally. But the, what you said at the, be the beginning about that prevalence of judgment shows and what I noticed about this that was very refreshing was that there was a complete lack, with the exception of the farting bison gag, there was a complete lack of <laughs> bringing in people who are not talented, are not skilled, so that we can laugh at them and convincing them that it's worth their time to get up on stage, knowing that they're not going to get past that first round. It's just there to bring in some amusement. Yeah. And everyone, everyone who everyone turns yeah. up for the open auditions is brilliant. Everyone is brilliant. How Buster picked the half a dozen that he decided to go forward with other than the fact that obviously they're the main names on the cast mm. list, I have no idea because everybody was great. Except for the uh, llama that keeps tuning their guitar, we never got to see them really get there. But, but it what, seems like the they could have been great. The they played sounded fantastic. I, I, in my head, that's Judith's little sister or something. They're these five little Japanese foxes that keep dancing to sugar pop and that's the joke. Yeah, well, the, it, the, they, they don't, don't understand a word understand that's being the said. Word no, which might actually be a bigger gag on the fact that in Japanese there is there is no word speaking, for no. Not a there word is no. I am so there is a phrase that equates to I am sorry, but this is not possible. But it's not the same as no. Yeah. But when he finally says this is good, can you do this and, and attempts it in Japanese, they slap him and run off. Yeah. <laughs> which suggests that it was a poor translation. Yes, indeed. But it's a good gag. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go see Sing 2 and I will come back with news of Sing 2 and we will have that as an end piece. Guys, we're on right now. Now? <gasps> Stop. I need big shows, big ideas. Hey, I have a big one with Clay Calloway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know Calloway? Clay Calloway is a recluse. No one's seen it over 15 years. I'll give you three weeks to get this show up and running. I won't let you down, sir. Better not, or I'll throw you off the roof. <laughs> There's nothing holding me back. I have dreamt of performing in Red Shore City since I was a little kid. There's nothing holding me back. This is Red Shore City, not your little local theater. He's freaking me out. Oh. Tippy toes, tippy toes. 
I don't see your tippy toes. This is my daughter, Portia. She wants to meet Galloway. Big fan. My sister is on her way to meet him right now. Your destination is on the right. On the right. Okay. If you could just give me some dance lessons, you would be saving my life. How do I know that you're not a weirdo? How do I know that you're legit? I knew you were a weirdo. Playback. He says that she's never afraid. And here she is, the star of our show, Rosita. Oh my gosh. Can I try? No, 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 no. Girl, it's on fire. She's afraid. She'll never be able to play the part. Maybe this is for the best. I'll write you another part, Rosita. There he is. Clay Calloway? Go away! Don't you miss the music? You just need to play again. No, I can't! I haven't even heard one of my songs in over 15 years. And for good reason. I have climbed the highest mountains I have run through the fields It's okay But I still Your songs will carry you haven't found Just sing What I'm looking for There's only one, one way left to go And that's Dream big dreams that's what I always said, right? There's always a choice. Just never have the guts to make the right one. Got the robot activating piggy power! Beep, beep, boop, boop! Okay, so I saw Sing 2 having just recorded on Sing 1, and I was keeping an eye out for a couple of things that bothered me in retrospect about Sing, which I'd never really thought of before, but when we started analysing it, turned up. And I liked Sing 2, but it was not without caveats. So I'm going to take the same uh, similar structure of we'll look at each character in turn and their journey and what they have to accomplish, and how core to the film that is and what maybe could have been different about it so to start with they all get on a bus after auditioning as a band together because that's kind of where they've, they've gone from here like they're a troupe of talented singers um they've just been told that they're never going to amount to anything by a talent scout and they're kind of heartbroken but rosita has dreamed of being a singer and on stage for her entire life. And she kind of pushes them into the bus and say, get on this thing, let's all go together. We'll rehearse this show we've got planned in the back of the bus. And they drive to Las Vegas. And the depiction of Las Vegas, I think it's called Red Rock or something like that, but it's Las Vegas, is like, oh, it's a fairground. It's a wonderland. Oh, it's such a sweet song and they're so excited. And I was like, right, okay. This movie could 
pull a fast one on us in the best way possible by having the kids go, oh, it's rapturous. But then when you scrape away the neon veneer of Las Vegas, it's a seedy shit pile. And it's full of abuse and corruption. And to a degree, kind of, that's what the film does, but it never loses that starry-eyed perspective. Because I was thinking, like, you know, you, you move forwards on this. If they actually want, like, rather than just the original sing where it's actually about just being comfortable in themselves, some of them are going to go on to probably forge a musical career. Some of them will probably be able to just go home with more confidence and do their life in a different way. All of them now want to be big, famous musicians. Right. And that bothered me a little bit. Because that wasn't necessarily what Sing really was about. At least it was the carrot that they baited you with, but then the actual reward you got was so much more than a carrot. So they, um, because Buster Moon is a great big uh, liar, they, uh, uh, he asks if they can stay at this incredibly posh, swanky hotel and is told that they need to piss off. They sneak into the hotel dressed as janitors to Billie Eilish's bad guy. And this was the beginning of a lot more modern contemporary music and I think I could be wrong because maybe it's it's about the same ratio but it felt like there was more stuff for the kids in this and less stuff for the uh, the, the elderly who remember um, I don't know Donna Summer um, so that they get themselves up to this audition with Mr. Crystal who is the most important character in this film he is a white wolf and a music executive, and he is played by Bobby Carnival. Um, do you remember Ant-Man? He's the stepdad, the the cop. Okay. So like he he has a kind of a, a, a slightly um, Italian drawl to him. The poor man's Andy Garcia. <gasps> the rich man's Andy Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, lit- like literally financially, you get him if you can't afford Andy Garcia. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know, I, but Carnival probably did a lot of TV. I think they're both great. Okay. But, um, but yeah, no, like, he has got kind of a, a slightly New York, a little bit of a mobster drawl to him. And he's, it's the equivalent of, you know, the, the montage at the beginning of Sing when all of the various tryouts are happening. And I haven't played either of those for you because the basis of the humor is all in the visual juxtaposition of, ah, ride like the wind. But he's a snail. Only rather than just sort of uh, watching them and going, huh, I wonder what we can make with them. Um, this guy just keeps pressing the buzzer, like, get off my stage. I don't want you. Go away. Go away. So it's, uh, it's clear at this point. He is music executives. He is the music industry. I'm the bad guy. He is the fucking gangsters at the top who decide what's going to be big and what's not. The gatekeeper. Yeah, he is the enemy. He is the enemy of art. He is the opponent of self-expression. And he rules the roost in this film. Buster, that they start singing and he immediately beeps them. And then uh, Gunther reveals that he had a, uh, a plan for a space opera, a big musical sci-fi. And uh, Carnival, sorry, and, and Mr. Crystal goes, huh? A big musical? And uh, one thing leads to another, and Buster claims to personally know a retired lion singer named Clay Calloway. And Crystal says, you get Clay Calloway to sing in this musical, or I will throw you off this roof. And like he, he takes him up to the helipad, and he like you know points at the roof, and Buster's like, oh, okay, I won't do that. And 
throughout the film, Mr. Crystal keeps trying to make good on that. He is so desperate to murder Buster Moon. There's a time when Buster inevitably fails because all of his lies catch up with him and he has to walk to the office and th this wolf like yells at him so loudly and gets his teeth right up in his grill from our perspective where this tiny koala. I could perfectly imagine that exactly the little kids who were brought in because the, the, the stupid little piglets running amok uh, are what they expect from an illumination film. I can imagine them crying at this scene and it doesn't feel worth it. This guy is way too threatening and like he at one point he holds him out over like he's about to drop him off this skyscraper and then later on he does actually manage in tossing him from a great great height I'm like why do you want to murder him so much why does I will kill you keep turning up in this movie that skews very young and why is that analogous to what music execs actually do they snare your dreams, they hijack your talent. They take and they take and they take, and then they leave you like Britney Spears. I'm confused, and I still am, as to what the function of this guy was. He also lives in a palace, and it's all covered in gaudy gold, and he speaks in a slightly uh, broad Brooklyn accent, and he's obviously a criminal. And it's like, okay, so this was made when Trump was still president. Okay, I see what you're doing there. He's kind of obsessed with his daughter as well. Hmm? who's this sort of spoiled valley girl and her name is Portia and she's played by Halsey who's a uh, American singer um, and we'll come back to her later but like, he as soon as uh, Rosita can't do the space jump she has to fling herself there's pigs in space from the top of this scaffold and then fly around the various planets as this Gunter's ideas are sort of taking form they're pretty much mad-libbing this thing on the spot but when Rosita can't do it, Portia comes in and can do it whilst singing. And she's pretty good at singing and very graceful at moving. And uh, Crystal's like, right, my daughter is now playing the lead role and sort of takes hold of it. So artistically speaking, Rosita is shunted to the side and allowed to be a green alien who doesn't say anything. But sort of bounces around singing. But because she couldn't take the jump, and Buster's like, well, maybe this is for the best because at least we get to put this musical on and it's like, the musical is being controlled, it's being micromanaged. But the thing Mr. Crystal is the most terrified of is people laughing at him. He's like, you make fun of me, I will kill you. Like, you will, you, you, like, this... This cannot result in me being made to look bad. He is so obsessed with his public image, and he passes that on to his daughter. You don't make me look bad either. So after a while, even though she's irritating, we start feeling sorry for this seemingly airheaded girl. I noticed another thing. The first film, everything's very roundy and short and stumpy, and it's like got a lot of crazy animals. This one is furry town. Because it's a bit more grown up, you get kind of like tall, thin, angular people with cat heads. And it's like, that's a lynx. That's a, a, a dog. That, and it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's not exactly sexualized, but they seem more like people with animal heads than animals in cute cherubic shapes from the first one. Yeah. Although that does make it sound like there's a little bit of a shift between the more broad spectrum of animals in the original Sing to carnivores. Mm. 
Yeah, it does seem like they've gone to the Las Vegas uh, of uh, Zootopia, and this particular carnivore is dog dog. ruling the roost. Mm. Mina, for her part, because they, they they have to visit different planets for for um, I want to call him Ham for Gunter's musical. He's like, yeah, we go to a planet of war and a planet of sadness. I'm really good at Gunter. I should just do Gunter. It's going to be crazy, right? Piggy power. And Gunter is very happy to just play, I am the robot doing the robot in the background. He's just happy to play his part. But Rosita is feeling really desperately sad because her dream was snatched away from her because of a, a, a fear that she'd never had to jump off something really, really high before. So she didn't even know she was scared of that. Mina gets saddled with a yak who I thought was Thomas Hayden Church, but was actually Eric Andre. He's from SNL, very funny guy. But uh, he's this over-exuberant, pompous yak that she doesn't particularly like all that much, and she has to sing a love song with him. And uh, she's wearing this big blue robed dress that's kind of like the planet of sadness, but she feels uncomfortable. Then she meets Alfonso, played by Pharrell Williams, who is another elephant. And she's like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. Uh, at least Pharrell Williams is a person of color. He doesn't, I think he does get to sing sort of in this film a bit, but uh, it's it's very much like with like again. She's like, I've never I even had a boyfriend. And she's very nervous in that regard. And the thing she ends up doing is just imagining that this yak is Alfonso, the ice cream salesman, who by the way, clearly likes her immediately. They both like each other. It's one of those, all you have to do is just say, can I see you after the show? And it'll happen, guys. Just stop freaking out about it. But she imagines that her co-star is this elephant that she likes and they have a great sing song. And she sings, the moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup. Yeah, she sings I Say a Little Prayer, which was originally sung by Aretha Franklin, another very famous woman of colour singer. And at least I think she's doing it in a duet with Pharrell Williams, but again, Tori Kelly is a pretty blonde white girl. And I was going, right, you've had the opportunity now to cast new characters who are actors of colour. Please do that. And they kind of sort of a bit. Like I say, Pharrell Williams is in there for a short while selling ice creams to a girl he likes. It seemed weird that you would get Pharrell Williams in and not have him sing. Well, no, I think he, he, <laughs> he the, the yak becomes the elephant, okay. and so the elephant does so get to sing that duet. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But like, that's all Mina has to do. Mina has to be, has to overcome her shyness and ask a boy out. So not, not an enormous amount of progress, but uh, yeah, it, it's fine, she's shy. Uh, it always feels like Mina should have been the heart and the core of the Sing films. Mm -hmm. But they're content for her to just overcome her shyness a bit yeah. each time. Yeah. They, they definitely tried to position her that way for other people, but her personal, as we said before, her personal journey is not extensive enough. She's already got a family that loves her at the beginning and is, is incredibly mm. supportive of her. Now, uh, Johnny, the ape, is on the planet of war and they all, he lives with a bunch of other animals on this planet and they all look like Mad Max. What? Does it have a Statue of Liberty on it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And it will truly be a planet, a planet of, apes, of apes, dancing apes. <laughs> and he's got a dance and he only knows how to play piano and he gets paired up with, uh, well, when they're doing the dance routine and training for it, he's not especially graceful because he's a giant ape. And That's the same thing Rosita had in the first one. Yeah. His dance teacher, Klaus Knickenbocker, uh, played by Adam Buxton, by the way, uh, is this really aggressive proboscis monkey, and he's basically Fletcher in Whiplash. 
So he's being really cruel to Johnny and saying, I will make a great dancer out of you, and I don't know why or how, because you have no talent whatsoever. So he's crushing him. And uh, so Johnny finds Nushi while uh, he's uh, wandering around in the streets in Las Vegas. It's broad daylight, a lithe lynx girl doing breakdancing in the street. And uh, she's English, and so she talks like this. And uh, it's like, oh, that's cool, because they're both English. Cool, cool. And also, it's not like with like. It is like with like, but it's not like with like. You know, so they're, they're both British, but they're different species, so there's something no, else going on that's cool. That is momentum, yeah. that's connection through a different... Hmm. Uh, Point. And Nushi is Letitia Wright. So we finally got an actress of colour. She doesn't sing anything. She teaches Johnny to dance. That's about it. She's not really in the film much because we've got too many characters that we already love to uh, to, to focus on. And uh, Johnny dances well. And there's a really excellent sort of finale where he's kind of like his song is a protest song against an oppressive father figure but here's the thing he already made up with his oppressive father figure he's not feeling that for that dad he's feeling it for this dance teacher and it's like okay cool either way the actual uh, uh, fight um, that uh, and the, the dance fight that takes place is very impressive and once again Taron Egerton's singing is fantastic and I think I saw that his personal piano held together with rope still there again but yeah, no, effectively, Johnny has to get past a whole father figure thing. Again, even though he already has done. Mm. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars. I'm gonna give you my heart. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars Cause you light up the path I don't care, go on and tell me about I don't care I saw you 
you remember I mentioned Clay Calloway? Yes. They get to Clay Calloway, I realise now, because they sing Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. And uh, it's sort of a beautiful magic moment and there's sort of space coming out of it. And this is during the initial... Uh, tryout in front of Mr. Crystal. Mr. Crystal's like, yeah, great song. I like that song. And they're like, oh, well, we... And Buster says, I know Clay Calloway. And that's the beginning of the, the, the lie. He then has to get Clay Calloway. And Clay Calloway is a recluse. He has quit the business. Miss Crawley goes to uh, find him and he shoots her with paintballs and she leaves her eye behind but picks up a crab apple and puts that in there instead. It's a poor Miss Crawley in this. She gets fucking traumatised. Um, but as it turns out, Ash is a big fan of Clay Calloway, and so she goes to see him with uh, Buster and plays a U2 single. Um, You've got to get yourself together. It's, it seems like Clay Calloway had done all of U2's music. This is an African lion. Called Calloway. Called Calloway. Cab Calloway. Like, I was like... You do know that that's the name of a famous performer of colour, right? Who got shafted by the industry. Yes? No? And Clay Calloway speaks in this gruff voice. And as it turns out, he's fucking Bono. So his entire back catalogue is all of U2's without the edge of Adam Clayton. Thank you very much. He did it all himself. All that Irish guitar and singing, that was all Clay Calloway. Uh, and he's sad because his partner has died many years ago. Um, his his love and he doesn't want to sing because so much of it was connected to her and there's a really some sweet tender stuff as Ash tries to connect to him through that music and bring him out of his shell and he's not really ready but again he's doing he's so gruff we were so close to a musician of colour who got screwed over by the industry and now doesn't want to perform because he got screwed over instead it's a white man's pain in the body of an African lion <laughs> Again, it's fine, it's cool, it's fine, but it's not addressing the actual issues. And I feel like, is it unfair for me to expect that from Sing? It's an illumination film. It's amazing that it's this touching. But I always want things to be better. I always want things to shoot for the moon, so to speak. Now you know that band U2, right? They basically got this one sound, don't they? these effects they're nothing right this is all effects even a troll-like figure can recreate them i'll give you a demonstration of a catastrophic technical failure at a u2 gig right Portia, who we mentioned before, uh, this uh, the wolf girl uh, who doesn't really get into conflict that much with her father, but he screams at her, don't you dare embarrass me, so it's clear that she's frightened of him. When she finally gets to do her song, because they switch they switch it back around in the end after the, the show gets cancelled and then they decide to put it on anyway for free after hours and invite people to just watch it. It's the same as the first one. Exactly. And... Um, 
because they, they recast it the other way, so Rosita gets to be the pigs in space, and uh, Portia gets to be the green alien, and she sings this amazing song about no longer being afraid of him, and just kind of got to me, and I'm just like, oh, okay, that's that's really good, well done. That's it. No jokes, no cynicism. I like this song. I like this performance. It's one of those times when Sing really hits home. That's when uh, Mr. Crystal is going to try and kill Buster Moon. He just like drags him up to the uh, top scaffolding so that he can throw him off. He's just got to kill him. In the end, the audience that attended for free love it and they get signed with the Bellagio or something. And uh, even though the wolf won't give them any money and, and uh, uh, he says, you made a, a complete fool out of me and he publicly decries um, Buster Moon as an idiot loser on a talk show. Then tries to take credit for the musical and its success because he realizes that people are not gonna laugh at him. And then everyone else walks out on him and the audience laughs at him. And it's a satisfying moment. And then we just go straight into the realms of fantasy as uh, a secretary comes in and goes, officers, arrest that wolf. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens. People like Trump definitely get arrested. They definitely go to jail. They face their comeuppance. It's not, we have to uh, swallow some uncomfortable truths, which is that guys like this don't get punished. They are above the law. It's a harsh idea to spread to kids that early on. And perhaps feeding them the fantasy that men like this can be jailed for attempted murder. Like they might believe in it so much that eventually in a few decades it'll be true. But I don't think it worked in the 80s and it probably isn't gonna work now. It never really posits you have to work outside the system or do as much as you can to hold on to who you are with what they'll let you have. It doesn't push down that road hard enough. It's it's more just that their, their dreams of performing are so tangible and they share them with each other until the point where it feels real to them, which is a lovely, lovely sentiment. Oh, the only way they managed to survive, by the way, is because Johnny called his dead and his bother boys. So every time uh, Mr. Crystal tries to enter with his own small private army of goons, the gorillas beat up the goons. So the secret to that is lie, get your artistic vision out there and have some thug friends who can defend you. It's a way of teaching kids how to, how to achieve in, in life and ultimately Crystal has succeeded in every possible evil way and he is not the least bit admirable. Like you could not watch that and go, I want to be like him. His daughter hates him. He has no friends and nothing else. He just has his own sense of vastly overinflated ego and pride. And I hope they gave him the wolf chair. So they are once again, by the way, perpetuating the myth of wolves being these horrible creatures. Yep. Carnivores. Oi. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say it's um it's a it's a step down from the original sing, but after we've talked about sing enough, uh, the the problems that persist over both films, the not casting people of colour to be voices of colour with the singing, the uh, naive this is what the uh, industry's like. Not really, let's move on quickly because the important thing is to dream uh, rather than confronting kids with the harsh truths. There are people out there who will never be punished. Mm. Do and your thing for free and one day maybe someone important will see you and you'll make it big. And you'll pay for it. Effectively, yeah, they, they, they did an unpaid internship for their first uh, performance. Mm. And uh, then because it, like, it's, it's waving a magic wand to make things happen for them as opposed to sometimes things don't happen and we can move on from it but also that all of their problems get neatly tied up. Just that it's not an ongoing thing. Obviously with Mina, it was an ongoing thing in terms of shyness. 
So I, I expect for a Sing 3 where Mina is very shy. Because you don't just stop being shy overnight because you've managed not. to do one thing that was embarrassing. And you, like All of those misgivings do come back to you. But it is, relative to the rest of the output from Illumination, a high-quality and very sweet-natured, good-hearted couple of films. And I want Garth Jennings to be able to do more like this. Just time enough to thank our $15 sponsors. And thank you to everyone on the Patreon. The ones who keep this little theatre going. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Anthony Flores, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosansky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Let's hand this over to the Wolf Lady. Take it away, Portia. <laughs> 